A swing and a long drive. Left center field. Way back to the track. To the ball. Grand slam. Diaz. The Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day Show is presented by Amron on the Cardinals Radio Network. Bringing a ground ball off the pitcher's up to the second baseman. Got him. A complete game. 5 nothing shutout for Adam Wainwright. Now, Mike Claiborne and Chris Raby with the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day Show. Presented by Amron on the Cardinals Radio Network. From Jupiter, Florida, welcome to another edition of Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day, presented by Ameren, Chris Raby, and Mike Claiborne with you for another week. And, Claibs, we've almost seen all the pitchers go. So, you know, we're making our way into this Grapefruit League schedule. Got a big show for everyone tonight. And, man, it's been fun to watch some baseball and um, watch some good baseball the last couple of days. You're right. It's been good baseball uh, for a lot of different reasons, but more importantly, the good pitching. I think that's been a good start. The defense has been solid. All things that I think at this time last year we thought, well, you know, we'll, we'll get through it, and we never did. So I like what I see so far, but we still got a long ways to go before opening day. All right, we got a big show coming up for you tonight. We are going to hear from General Manager John Mozeliak coming up in a bit. Cardinals making another big international signing. We will visit with Rick Horton. We will check in with Cardinals reliever Matt Bowman. Also, Tony Clark, head of the Players Association in Cardinals camp today. We'll hear what he had to say, your conversation, Mike, with him. And Tim Kirchin of ESPN here as well. Also get a visit with uh, a new fixture in camp from a security standpoint for the Cardinals. And hear from Cardinals Authentics. They are down here in camp. So let's get started. And I think that some of the things that really stood out to me today are guys that will be a big part of Cardinals success this season. Carlos Martinez made his first start. We saw Mike Leak go yesterday and be very, very good. We've seen Lance Lynn. We've seen Michael Waka. Uh, we've seen a couple of the young guys. We'll get to see Adam Wainwright tomorrow. But as Carlos gets ready for the World Baseball Classic, I think an interesting uh, lens to look at him through because we've seen him be great. We've seen him be emotional. We now get ready to see him go and pitch for his country. Can only imagine what that means for him. And kind of saw the full arsenal today, even in the short, short uh, slice of what's to come. Uh, what I was impressed with today, a lot of guys, and, and Ricky Horton and I talked about this earlier, um, start off their first outing with just pumping fastballs. He showed everything today just to make sure he could get it over for strikes. And, you know, Chris, these guys throw in the offseason. They have their bullpens out here. But it's different when you've got a hitter in the box. And it's different when you've got a hitter like a Curtis Granderson who's got big league experience. So when you want to try and show everything, it's okay because they're going to know it anyway at some point. But I, I was impressed with how comfortable he was with showing his repertoire. You're seeing more of that curveball that almost looks at times like a slider. You're seeing it become more and more developed. And then a changeup that's around 90, a fastball that reaches the high 90s. I mean, it's scary for the rest of the league to think that this arsenal is still developing. You know, I I think one of the things that I'm impressed with about Carlos, we all know he can throw hard. But I go back to a game in Arizona last year where he had, I think, four pitches that were over 95. Everything else was between 89 and 94. And, and I thought he was a much more effective pitcher in, in a situation like that. Uh, I think it's fun for him to be able to use his repertoire and the timing of it, not showing everything in the first inning, uh, saving something for later is what I think has made him a special pitcher. But today I thought he was solid. Uh, he had a couple of defensive plays he made. He got the double play ball when he needed it. And uh, I think he has to feel good about what he showed today. Carlos Martinez on the development of his breaking ball. 
Bueno, trabajando mucho con, con la curva, tú sabes, hay, hay, hay bateadores que ya me conocen, tú sabes, estoy trabajando mucho con la curva, utilizarla también, y nada, son los resultados que me van a ayudar para, para hay una serie mundial también. I'm speaking mostly on my curveball, that's what I know, that's what I think my, it's my strongest pitch and that's what I'm going to work on, that's what's been the best for me and um, hopefully that's what's going to get us to a World Series. Manager Mike Matheny weighed in on what he saw from Carlos today. No, he was good. I don't think he was as sharp as he wanted to be. I mean, worked into some tough counts, but made good pitches all the way through. I mean, uh, balls jumping um, through a couple behind in the count, really nasty change-ups, breaking ball looked sharp everywhere. He looked, he looked great. You know, just uh, I think probably the location on his fastball, something was off. If, if anything was even off a little, that would be it. Klebs Carlos gets ready to go to the World Baseball Classic for a guy that, you know, is as emotional as he is. For how much it means, especially for Latin America, the guys that are able to represent their countries in international competition, what an honor it might be for him. And he was asked today what he thought about the Dominicans' chances. He said, pretty good, but it's going to be great to get to see him. And also, the guys that will get to spend time with on that roster, the pros that make up that team, that, that's a really exciting thing, I think, if you're part of the Cardinals organization or a Cardinals fan. Well, I think that team has a lot of guys who are willing to give back and, and teach guys and keep the tradition going of having good teams from the Dominican Republic. Uh, they're going to be fun to watch. Uh, you know, We were talking, Mike and, and uh, Rick Hummel and I were talking earlier today about the, the tournament and how this might be a good team the U.S. will run out, maybe the best one they've ever put on the field. And I think when you look at the Dominican Republic team, uh, they may be a little short on pitching after Carlos. I mean, Johnny Cueto's not going to be able to pitch. But when you look at Carlos as a whole, as a person, going back to the loss of Tavares and making the all-star team that year, and then this year he comes out and he does it again, makes the all-star team. There were so many good things about what we've had a chance to witness that says this young man is growing at a good pace. He's rewarded with a good contract. So life is good for him right now, and he's taking full advantage of it. Clibs, the next guy I want to talk about is Randall Gritchick. What a home run he had today. There's a high fly ball by Gritchick. This one's going back at the track. It's gone. Randall Gritchick just took a casual swing. He got up into the wind, and it left the ballpark as the left fielder Nemo just watched it sail over the BBNT bank sign in left center field. And all of a sudden, the Redbirds lead this one 6-0. You know, sometimes I think maybe we take for granted a guy moving from, like, center field to left, and a lot of the talk in the offseason is, hey, he's going to be a better left fielder because it's not as challenging a position. But how challenging is that transition? And how challenging is it doing it in some of these minor league ballparks where the backdrop's a lot different than a big league park and, and maybe more challenging to see the bat, to see the ball off the bat? I, I agree with you. I think that it's a lot more challenging. And I don't think left field is, is as easy as people think it is because guys who turn on pitches, they get out there a whole lot quicker. You got the corner to deal with. You got a lot of other things that go into play. I thought Randall was a pretty good defensive center fielder, which certainly is going to give him a lot of confidence to be able to play over in the corner, knowing that uh, the gap to his right is the foul line. So he doesn't have to worry about going from gap to gap. And I think overall it's going to make him a better player and maybe instill more confidence. You see a lot of guys who may take their bat to the field. I don't think that's going to be the case with him if he's struggling uh, because he has certainly accounted for himself well. And I thought today he made a couple of good plays 
uh, certainly in the field and with the bat. Gritchick on the transition to a new position this spring. It's definitely tougher to see the ball here off the bat um, than in you know, normal big league stadiums. I think the, the daylight plays into it, plus the backdrop. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, def field, definitely left field is definitely a little different. So, uh, you know, I'm still trying to get used to it. Um, played out there enough to feel, feel all right, but definitely can't wait to get more reads out there. Also on transitioning with Dexter Fowler next to him. Definitely good to get out there and get some innings with him. Um, you know, kind of see how he moves, see how he talks, and, um, you know, get a feel for each other out there. And, uh, you know, that, that ball that I caught there in the first or second, whenever it was, it, he definitely helped out, you know, on that. Those are tough liners, and, uh, you know, he yelled back real quick, so that was plus. Um, you know, I think the team has embraced him really well, and um, obviously he's a very vocal guy and likes to have fun and keep things loose, and I think that's something that we've needed from years past. And um, I think we're just going to feed off of his, his energy and, um, you know, the vibes that he brings. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a fun year. This is definitely a different feeling in camp this year than, than it has in any other year. Klebs, I can imagine a big part of that transition is all of a sudden you move to left field. You're deferring to a center fielder sometimes. Communication so important to have a pro like Dexter Fowler right in the middle of a guy in Stephen Piscotty that he's used to playing next to, I imagine it's a little bit easier when it's someone like Fowler who's being dropped in the middle of you. Well, he's a leader. I mean, I think he's shown that already, and center fielders have to be leaders. They call off people, and uh, knowing that a guy like Fowler's got that experience is going to be comforting to him and knowing he doesn't have to make every play like he had to do in center field. So uh, it's a plus for him. I don't see how it's not. I think it's going to make him a much more effective player. And if he doesn't watch it, he could be the best left fielder in the National League when you think about some of the other guys that are playing that position right now. Do you see where that ball landed he hit? I think the search party's still out for it. I mean, I, I was on the call, and the ball just got up. And, you know, the wind was blowing in then. So I didn't think he hit it that well because it was a nice casual swing. But the ball kept drifting and drifting and drifting. And the next thing you know, it was out of sight. So that's a sneaky power that he has. He has some sort of drive on his ball that we just normally don't see on a lot of guys for a guy who I don't consider a big man. Is there something to, you know, last year Jason Hayward left, and I think the assumption naturally was, well, Randall Gritchick and Stephen Piscotty will fill that void. It was the expectation and the excitement surrounding fans and surrounding this camp. This year, he's obviously a big part of the team. He's your starting left fielder. He's going to hit in the middle of the lineup. But is it possible that, that he flies under the radar a little bit as far as storyline, and could that be a good thing for the expectations and, and whatever the start of the season brings for him? I think it's a great point you make because last year this time he was talking about hitting 30 home runs. I think he put some undue pressure on himself. Now, hey, I'm just going to show up and do my thing, and we'll see where it goes. I think the key is staying healthy and making himself effective every day. And if he can do those sort of things, he's going to be a guy that's going to make a real contribution. The question will be eventually where do you hit him in the lineup, and I think he's going to decide that fate. That's Mike Claiborne. I'm Chris Raby. We're just getting started on another edition of Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day presented by Ammer, and we are in Jupiter, and we're back after this. Going to hear from the general manager next on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. Welcome back to Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day. From Jupiter, Chris Raby and Mike Claiborne with you. Claibs Cardinals making some more big international news earlier this week as they signed Cuban free agent outfielder Adalis Garcia to a minor league contract. That included an invitation to the team's big league camp, $2.5 million. The reported monetary value of the deal that will bring the Cuban League 
MVP to Cardinals camp is brother Adonis. Got to see him uh, in Orlando with the Braves yesterday. Those guys sharing a special moment on the field. And without knowing too much about this guy, you know he can play. And it's another big investment into the international waters without counting against the international cap. Well, you know, I think it's important for the Cardinals to be as diverse as they can as far as finding talent. Um, you know, they got into the international market in, in some opinions, perhaps later than others. Uh, the Diaz adventure has turned out to be okay. They signed a ton of guys last year uh, that they feel with time can develop. And, and you know, you're always looking for players. Uh, and this is an area where it doesn't hurt them as far as what I would call the unofficial cap where they can spend this sort of money compared to some other teams who had spent a lot of that money early on. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's a nice investment. You know, maybe you get something out of it. If nothing else, you're building for the future, and that's what's important. Adonis said uh, in Orlando yesterday to reporters that he thought Adonis would be better than him. Cardinals general manager John Mozeliak on the signing. He's a young man that uh, we had our scouts follow for over a year. Um, clearly, he's been uh, someone that's a very talented player. And, you know, when you look at, at, at how we're trying to continue to add depth to our minor leagues, this one's an interesting fit because it's, it's not a 16-year-old or an 18-year-old. It's someone that is more established. He's had success um, at a high level. And, and ultimately, he just has to get his feet wet. Um, still needs to get his work visa. Once he does that, then he can obviously participate in games, but until then he'll just work out. And uh, time frame on that is, is, you know, hopefully a few weeks, but we'll see. And then uh, as far as where he'll be assigned, that will be a, a TBD. For you, you kind of described it there. I mean, there's a delay here for him to get into games. Where's his role in sort of get, catching the eye of the major league staff? Well, I think like, you know the one ability is is to participate in daily workouts. Um, clearly, that's going to help. But you, you do lose those first two weeks that we just had, where everybody's on the same field and functioning. So. Hopefully uh, the Major League staff definitely gets to see what he's capable of doing, but ultimately he'll be able to play in games. Can you provide just a little bit of a scouting report on him and where they offer uh, He'll get um, opportunity at center field, and in terms of, of skill set, just feel like he's uh, described more as a five-tool player. Um, so from a defensive standpoint, above average. From an offensive standpoint, I think there could be some power. And, uh, you know, Ultimately, he'll be tested right away, but um, you know, very excited about just his talent base. Is he a guy you think will contribute on the major league roster this year? It's a good question and one that's a little hard for me to answer after just watching batting practice. Um, you know, when you look at, at how we make decisions, you know, we, we do look at performance. We also bake in scouting reports, and you know, I think Matt Slater and, and uh, Moises did a very good job of, of identifying that. But in terms of impact on the major league roster. I think we have to be patient before we answer that. Can you describe the information gathering and then ultimately evaluation and decision making process for a player at his level of progression versus maybe you say a 16 year old, how that's different? Well, it's a little easier in the sense that you have uh, some performance data to look at. In other words, he was playing at a high level in Cuba, uh, also played in Japan. Uh, so have a sense of that. But there is still that tryout and, and showcase look that you get to see. And you know all of that was factored into this decision. Do you, do you see him as part of the group of players that you've signed here in the last seven, eight months? 
out of the international water. I know he doesn't count against your all's cap and everything like that. But do you think he kind of fits in the theme that you guys are trying to establish with how aggressive you've been? Well, I, I definitely think the answer is yes. And more more to the point is, is what I said earlier about the fact that he is older. And so a lot of times when you're making these these, these long-term investments, it's, it's about patience. Here we have an opportunity to stick somebody at a higher level and, and to Jen's question, possibly even contribute at the major league level at some point this year. How much of that, I mean, was he identified as someone that you could sign this year, or do you have to wait for him to kind of be cleared by Major League Baseball? Um, had to be cleared. Um, so after that happened, you know, basically we, we put our resources there and, and um, waited as long as we could, but we were hopeful to do something soon. Do you still expect to maybe even do more in the international market here before? Well, I think we always try to say that we're, we're, we're open for business. So if, if there's something that makes sense for us, um, I think we'd definitely pursue it. You found that to be a fertile place to kind of replenish some of the depth because you're drafting later, not just this coming year, but you have been because of success drafting later in the first round. Well, yeah, I think I've stated before our strategy all along was when we were looking at like who was players in the market at the international market at the time, most of the bigger spenders were out. And, and so we saw this as a window that we could be more competitive relative to other years. Um, clearly, there are some teams that have spent a lot, um, but we're trying to be resourceful, prudent in the decision making. But that's where, where, where someone like Adolis fits in for us because of, of A, it's, it's not taxed, or, or, and, and, and B, I like the idea of, of being able to go to a high level quickly. And the, and the value you get on the return. There's, mm-hmm. there's significant upside in from what you're finding out. He was, he was cleared by baseball in December, correct? Correct. So then the last two months, has just, has it been negotiating? Or has it been I would say it's been, for, for our end, it's been mostly evaluating, scouting. Um, I would say maybe the last couple of weeks has been more focused on the negotiation. And I think he and his representatives were just trying to understand what that landscape looked like. So we get that. And, uh, you know, now he's got a great opportunity. There's a... From what my brief meetings with him, a charming young man. He's uh, he's obviously thrilled to be here, and you know he he sees a lot of optimism for his future, and he's just excited to get it going. Garcia is the younger brother of Adonis Garcia, who plays for the Braves, and had his first workout on Saturday. Can you ask him uh, what what the process has been like, what the last couple months have been like, and his feelings on arriving today and getting his first workout in? Antes que todo, me, me siento muy contento. Eh, quiero darle las gracias a Cardenales, San Luis, por darme la oportunidad y por acogerme aquí en su familia. First of all, I feel extremely happy and I really want to say to the entire organization, thank you for including me in this and giving me this wonderful opportunity. I'm very thankful for it. How do you describe what kind of player you are and, and what you think you can bring to the club? Puedo cumplir la tarea que se me sea asignada, ¿no? Eh, me gusta jugar agresivo, me gusta construir carreras, me gusta defender. Bueno, pienso que en la tarea que me asigne el equipo voy a estar muy contento y voy a hacerla con, con dedicación y seriedad. The best way to describe it is whatever duty I'm given, I can carry it out. I can carry any task out and I would say I'm an aggressive player, always on the defense and most of all I'm doing it with discipline and passion. Did you see much of how his brother did in the major leagues and how much did that influence what he thought he could do? Bueno, pienso que mi hermano ha sido mi, mi ¿cómo se llama? Mi, mi meta a seguir, ¿no? El ejemplo más grande que he tenido por ser mi hermano y por ver la dedicación que ha tenido y cómo se ha entregado y que ha podido llegar a las grandes ligas, que es la meta más alta que tenemos todos los peloteros. 
Y bueno, me siento muy contento de que mi hermano ha llegado y quiero seguir sus pasos y bueno, ser mejor cada día. My brother has been my role model and has been the goal that I want to reach. Having, having him be in the position that he's in is, is really helpful for me to be able to see where I want to end up eventually. I'm very happy for him and again he's my role model and, and I would like to follow his footsteps. How many teams were you discussing with when you were looking at signing and what made the Cardinals the right team? No, siempre, siempre hubieron equipos ¿no? que estuvieron eh, interesados en contratarme, pero bueno, pienso que yo elegí San Luis más por la tradición que tiene, el gran equipo que es, y bueno, porque me siento, siento con los compañeros que hay aquí, Alemi y otros, me siento, sabía que me iba a sentir como en casa y gracias a Dios así ha sido. Obviously there were other offers and there were other teams, but I picked St. Louis because of the tradition and because it's such a wonderful organization. And I knew that I was going to identify with the team and fit in, especially having players like Diaz that I knew I was going to fit right in. Where, where are you right now as far as being ready to play? Have you, have you been working out and everything like that, but where do you feel you are as far as game speed? Tuve que, me pasé seis meses entrenando fuerte, preparándome. Me siento que con un poco más de preparación, porque uno nunca, ¿me entiendes? Uno nunca puede sentirse que está ya 100% bien. Y entonces con un poco más de preparación creo que sí puedo estar ready para ayudar al equipo en lo que sea y poder jugar. For the last six months I've been working out really hard. I had to be in shape and, and work out obviously to get this opportunity and I'm, I'm standing here today. Um, I, I would say that I, I feel ready. I've been working really hard, but I my mentality is never to say that I'm, I'm fully ready. Um, I think just a little bit more preparation and uh, I, I would feel like I'd be ready to play. Looking for a great private event space for an upcoming meeting or party? Cardinals Nation inside Ballpark Village is open seven days a week and has a variety of perfect spaces for groups of all sizes. For more information, visit CardinalsNation.com. ESPN's Tim Kirkchin in Jupiter, and he's with us next on Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day presented by Ameren on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. Welcome back to Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. Chris Raby and Mike Claiborne in Jupiter, and always great to see Tim Kirchin. How are you? Great to see you here. I'm great. The weather's great. I've seen about 22 teams already this spring. I got a little bit more to go. I'm going to make a second trip to Arizona, second trip to Florida. Goals see all 30 teams. We'll see if I make it. It'll be tight. What is your, first of all, itinerary like, and, and how has it changed? Because I imagine, too, with the GPS having to navigate your way around, not as much Arizona, but especially Florida, if it was still the MapQuest days and you were printing out directions, you would have a couple of Encyclopedia Britannica's worth of sheets of paper trying to get around to all these camps and see all the teams that you have to see. Right. Well, I'm the worst of all time with directions, so this map quest on my phone has changed my life. I actually can find places now. The difference is, in Arizona, I kind of know where everything is now because everything is so close, and that is, by the way, an absolute paradise out there. Ten days, same hotel. I've been here for seven nights, and I've been in six different hotels at seven nights here in Florida because you got to drive all sorts of places. But, of course, Nationals and the Astros a little closer makes things a lot easier for me. What do you try and take in when you come down and watch spring training? Because it's early stages, guys are trying to get things figured out. What are some of the little things you try and pay attention to and file away for later? 
Well, the first thing I'm not doing is paying attention to wins and losses and worrying if a veteran player is having a good spring or not because he's going to have a good spring no matter what. Jim Edmonds once stopped playing at the end of spring training because he was swinging too well, you know? He didn't want to use him up in spring training. So please, don't tell me this really matters for a veteran player. But I'm here, let's say, I see a different body again on Matt Adams. That's what I need to see. I need to watch Matt Carpenter play first base, which I I know he's done before, but I need to see him do it in spring training and ask him how things are going. Those are the important things. Position changes, guys coming off of injuries, but we're not going to worry whether a great pitcher is throwing really well this spring because on April 1st, he'll throw really well. Injuries, of course, seem to become a rite of spring for the Cardinals and for their pitching staff. I'm going to turn this way so I can keep an eye on the missiles coming towards us. Alex Reyes this spring, uh, going to miss this year, undergoing Tommy John surgery. We don't necessarily know how he would have fit in. I think we had guesses and people were excited about it. But with that injury and with the disappointment of that for this club, Tim, do they have the pitching depth to withstand it and, and still put together a good year in terms of their rotation? Well, I think they do, and I think even without Reyes, they have a chance to make the playoffs. Now, I thought they'd make the playoffs last year, and they didn't. A lot of things went wrong, especially defensively, but the thought that the Cardinals are going to go on this stretch not making the playoffs for several years, sorry, I'm just not buying it. Um, but they got some work to do, and the Lance Lynns of the world and the Trevor Rosenthal's of the world who are going to be in different situations off injuries or whatever else, we have to see how they do, and that's what spring training is all about. You know, we saw a lot of players moved in the offseason for a lot of prospects, and it basically signals to those particular cities that we're going to surrender this year because we think we're going to be better three years later. With the advent of the Cubs and how they won things, is that something that's given a lot of other teams a green light, green light to try that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the Cubs are so good right now that you have to look at your club and say, can we beat them right now? And if we, if we can't beat them right now, we might as well start to build something for 2018 or 19 so we're really good then because they're going to be really good then again. So this is what the Yankees are doing to some degree. They're looking at that free agent class after the 2018 season, and they're gearing up for that. They're saving money for that, so they become a really good team in three years or so. In the meantime, they're just going to try to hang on and try to compete. Um, that's a tough thing to do in today's day and age when you're paid to win games. I was a little surprised at the amount of guys that were given up, especially in the two deals the White Sox made, because it seemed to me that in this day and age, as prospects and cost-controlled players have become the lifeblood of teams, we've started to see more of the big leaguer for big leaguer type deals, especially at the trade deadline. And teams until this offseason it seemed maybe a bit more reluctant to give up some of those top prospects yeah I remember saying several times a few years ago teams are just not going to trade their best young players and then the Nationals go out and trade three guys for Adam Eaton we're still reeling from that one and yes this is teams saying hey we got to get we got to get really good on the major league level if we're going to compete right now and in the Nationals case when they've had some disappointments in the postseason thanks in part to the Cardinals they say well we got to be good right now and what does that take we got to trade young guys to get proven players and now we're seeing a little shift there which we didn't see three years ago you know everybody obviously is going to be chasing the cubs which means they're going to have some pressure on them but give me another team or two that's got some pressure because they have to do better than what they did last season 
Well, the Dodgers, for instance, you know, it's just not good enough for them to win the division every year. They, they haven't won the World Series since 1988. They're spending an enormous amount of money on payroll, but they're building in a slightly different way. So, yeah, there's always pressure on them that they they have to be not just good, they have to win the World Series. That's a lot. The Giants are back in this thing again, and there's always pressure on them, this whole, hey, you guys win every other year. Um, but I think the Giants are in good shape. I think the Dodgers are in good shape. The question is, is anyone in good enough shape to beat the Cubs long term? But this is baseball, fellas. There are no guarantees in this sport. These aren't the Warriors against the Cavaliers. We kind of know what's going to happen there. We don't know what's going to happen here, and that's the beauty of it. With that said, what about Washington? Because Mike Rizzo is signing and in, in, in acquiring players that you have to look around and say, really? I mean, is this guy going to be that much better to help us? Is that a team that's also under the gun? And maybe is it more Mike Rizzo? considering the managers that he's gone through and the players that he's gone through, and they've yet to find themselves getting out of the first round. Right. There's no doubt the the attitude has changed with the Nationals with their tremendous regular seasons the last five years and their failures, if that's the right term, in the postseason. They have to do better than this. They can't just win 95 and get knocked out in the first round again. And Mike Rizzo is very sneaky, and I mean that in a positive way, that he's going to find what he needs and go in at the last minute and get Max Scherzer like he did so I'm still waiting to see if in the next month he goes and gets a closer my guess is my guess is he's not going to but I never ever discount what that guy does because he's always looking to get better what's the biggest question surrounding the Cubs and is it the pitching staff if they have issues there is that what could I still don't know what their basement would be it's still the best lineup and and maybe by a pretty wide margin in baseball but but what could go wrong for them and and could that affect the landscape of the National League Central would it have to take something pretty drastic Tim well, I think the Cubs are still the best team in baseball, and they're still really good. But they're going to miss Dexter Fowler, not just at the top of the lineup, but defensively in center field. They were so great defensively, that team, last year. And even though Albert Almora is a really good defender in center, we don't know if he's going to hit enough to play there every day. If you have to move Jason Hayward over there, you're playing Kyle Schwarber in the outfield most of the time. That's one of the questions for me. Plus, they lost some bullpen pieces that were pretty effective for them last year, Trevor Cahill and others, but they always seem to fill in with somebody else, and I have no doubt that they'll be a very good team. But this thought, oh, they're just going to win again this year, um, I'm not buying that. It doesn't work that way in this sport. And I guess it goes back to what we were talking about and kind of to come full circle that we saw with the deal with Chapman last year. They've built up the farm system to such a point now that they can go out and they can afford to – they're one of the few teams that can afford to probably trade some of those young cost-controlled prospects because they're guys that are blocked by all-stars right now that aren't exactly over the hill. Right, and this is where the Cubs have done such a good job developing position players the last few years, and now they have pitching on the way. I had one of their instructors tell me six years ago they had two pitchers, he said, who had a chance to be really good someday, two. And now they're up to 25, according to this evaluator. So this is what the Cubs do every day, try to find pitching help in the minor leagues and develop it because they've done a terrific job bringing everyday players to the big leagues. ESPN's Tim Kirkchin, always great to see you in Jupiter. Have safe travels the rest of the way, and we'll see you around Bush Stadium soon this season. All right. Can't wait to go to St. Louis. I'll be there on opening night. Yeah, you certainly will, Tim, and you can be there too. Cardinals tickets on sale now. They start at just 5 bucks. The 2017 season is full of great matchups and cool giveaways, including six jerseys, three rings, and much more. Get your 2017 tickets today at cardinals.com.
We'll get a look at security and introduce ourselves to Phil Melcher next on Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day, presented by Amarin on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. Well, there's a new sheriff in town, so to say, but we're going to talk about the director of security for the Cardinals. He's Phil Melcher. And Phil, first of all, welcome to the Cardinals. And I think one of the things you walking in in this situation, along with MLB, security is really paramount as far as what Major League Baseball looks at as far as their fans are concerned. Well, thank you very much. It's great to be with the Cardinals, and I appreciate uh, the opportunity to be here. Yeah, change, times change, threats change, things like that, and MLB and the Cardinals are on board with making sure that our fans, our players, our, our employees, everybody's safe and enjoying a, a safe experience when they come to a game. And whether it's in the minor leagues now or the big leagues, everybody's going to go through the same procedure, even the employees, as far as making sure when you come to the ballpark, things are going to be as safe as possible. Absolutely. I think I think it's paramount that at all levels we, we own the safety of everybody that comes to enjoy baseball. Let's talk a little bit about your background. We're going to forgive you for not being from St. Louis, but you've been here long enough. Tell us a little bit about what you've done leading up to this position. Uh, so for the last 10 years, I've been uh, running different security programs for the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. Uh, everything from program protection to anti-terrorism and force protection. Prior to that, I was uh, in the U.S. Army for over 20 years uh, in the United States uh, Army Special Forces with the Green Berets for about 14 years and mostly in 7th Special Forces Group working uh, counter-narcotics, counter-terrorism in Central South America. So, in other words, don't mess with me. Oh, no, it's not about that. It's, you know, it's, it's all about knowing your operational environment and knowing the environment you're in and, and, and acting appropriately and treating people right. I want to go back to security for a second. Uh, it's not the Cardinals. It's not just Major League Baseball. Homeland Security has also gotten involved in making sure that there's some uniformity to security at ballparks and just the facilities alone. Sure. Uh, Department of Homeland Security has what they call the Safety Act, and we want to be as compliant with that as possible, not just for, for being compliant, but also for the sake of our fans and for the sake of the safety of everybody coming and enjoying a game. And it goes for not just the day games, but also the night games as well, because those, those scenarios affect how people get home and things of that nature and walking to parking lots. That's all a concern of mine and a concern of the Cardinals as a whole. You know, you've been in the security business for a while. Uh, obviously, 9-11's changed a lot of things. But what do you see the biggest change since you gotten involved in the cor on the corporate side? Well, I, and, and not speaking to the Cardinals corporate side, but, well, if you want to speak to the Cardinals corporate side, the Cardinals corporate side is 100% behind making sure it's a safe experience. And they, and they really, really appreciate the fact that things have changed and they want to make sure that it's a safe experience for everyone. On the, on the security side, I mean, 9-11, unfortunately, was the biggest boom for the security in general. But a lot of people threw money at problems. And I think uh, what we're trying to do with the Cardinals is not just throw, you know, money at security because good security isn't necessarily expensive security. Good security is smart security. you gotta ha you got to be educated. Not, you've got to know where your threats are, where your vulnerabilities are, and put those things together and then make it a good comprehensive plan that works for everybody. And then apply some common sense to what you're doing because uh, it is still baseball. It's not, you're not at a at entering the CIA or something like that. So we do want to still make it fun, but at the same time safe. 
we, we've seen it here at Roger Dean where the security is a lot tighter. Uh, metal detectors are at every entrance. Uh, fans have kind of accepted it as part of the way of life where they leave, leave home a little earlier, they get to the ballpark, understanding it's going to take a little time to get in the ballpark. Are there going to be any new measures that they need to be aware of this year? Um, currently, no. Uh, we're just enhancing the procedures we have right now from an internal side. So these may be things, uh, you know, down here at Roger Dean, yeah, they're a lot more visible because they haven't done them before. But at Bush Stadium, these are things that they've been going through for the last season, season and a half. And so they're going to be pretty much used to what, they're, what, they're, what they've already been through at Bush Stadium. On the inside, yeah, we're taking some measures to make sure that we're doing certain things behind the scenes to make sure that things are safer as well. Phil Melcher, again, welcome to the Cardinals. Best of luck and uh, may have a lot of fun with this. We'll also put you in charge of security of wins. So that's your job. Also, I don't know whether they told you that or not. All right. Well, we'll take that challenge on. Thanks very much. Thank you, sir. Subscribe to Cardinals Magazine and receive two free tickets to a Monday through Thursday home game in 2017. Order now at 314-345-9000 or cardinals.com slash magazine. Back to wrap up our number one next on the Cardinals Radio Network. Getting ready to close up the first hour of Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day presented by Ameren with Mike Claiborne, Chris Raby with you, and Jupiter Ben Boyd is our great, great executive producer. Let's give away some tickets. Who's ready for basketball this weekend? Giving away seven ticket vouchers right now for any single session of the 2017 Missouri Valley Conference Men's Basketball Tournament. It's all starting tomorrow through March 5th. For more information on the Missouri Valley Conference games, visit archmadness.com. Let's take caller four right now at 969-1120, 314-969-1120, and we'll get you some basketball tickets. Big second hour of the show coming up. Rick Horton leads us off. We'll hear from Tony Clark of the Players Association, Matt Bowman, Cardinals reliever, and Ashley Brown. She's down in Jupiter with Cardinals Authentics. That's all coming up in just a couple of minutes. Stay with us. Don't go anywhere. Another hour of baseball to come from Jupiter. Chris Raby with Mike Claiborne and our executive producer, Ben Boyd. It's Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day. We're presented by Ameren, and we're back with more from Roger Dean Stadium in Jupiter in just a moment on the Cardinals Radio Network. A swing and a long drive. Left center field. Way back to the track. To the ball. Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day Show is presented by Amron on the Cardinals Radio Network. Bringing a ground ball off the pitcher's up to the second baseman. Got him! A complete game, 5-0 shutout for Adam Wainwright. Now, Mike Claiborne and Chris Raby with the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day Show presented by Amron on the Cardinals Radio Network. Hour number two of the program and a lot to get to. Tony Clark is here with the Players Association. We're going to check in with him. Also, we'll visit with Matt Bowman and see what Cardinals Authentics are up to down here in Jupiter. But to kick things off for hour number two, we turn it over to Mike Claiborne. Thank you very much, Chris. All right, we start the second hour with Ricky Horton, Cardinal broadcaster. First of all, sir, it's nice to see you. Now you've had a few days under your belt, not only to get some sun, but to actually watch some baseball. Let me get your thoughts. Well, my first thought is that uh, spring training is still fun, Klaibs. I love being down here. There's just something about it that is uh, unique. You've got this opportunity to start over again. You've got an opportunity to do something uh, big. You've got young guys to look at. And, you know, so far it seems like spring training has been going according to Hoyle. Everything seems uh, fine. And uh, for the most part, other than Alex Reyes, everybody seems healthy and uh, just uh, really enjoying being down here. And that's the, the good thing so far. They've avoided injury in the first week. 
Uh, the Reyes thing was obviously unfortunate, and everybody's getting a chance to get their work in. Yeah, and some of the plus uh, things specifically that you're looking at is uh, Trevor Rosenthal had a nice outing. Lance Lynn's back throwing again. Uh, Michael Walker was good his first time out. And, you know, results are one thing, and you, you kind of look for the numbers, and that's something. But but what you really want is for guys uh, to be healthy and to bounce back and to show that they're, they're going to be uh, able to compete uh, on a regular basis. That's what you want. You want guys to just rebound and, and show some show some signs of improvement, too. You want to see that. You, know, you look at some of the guys who uh, are, are really in good shape. Johnny Peralta, Matt Adams are a couple of guys that just look rock solid right now. And uh, Yadier Molina would be another one. It's just nice to have, uh, have that look going into spring training. It means these guys are probably uh, mean in business. Is it me, or is it the fact that baseball, as far as spring training, has changed with respect to pitchers where I used to see guys in the first week or so just come in pumping fastballs. I'm watching guys now throwing change-ups, curveballs in the first week, and I'm like, wait a minute, is that fair? Well, I'm not sure if it's fair to hitters, but uh, from the pitcher's point of view, they're competing. And it's and spring training is a little bit more about competition than it, than it probably ever has been. Uh, there was a time where... Uh, you were uh, you were in the team, you were in or you were out. I mean, everybody kind of knew who the guys were. Twenty-five man roster was going to be, and there may be a couple of guys that might might surprise you. But but you got sixty-eight players here, and and they want these guys to uh, compete. They want them to compete not only for a job uh, now, but for a job in the future. So guys guys want to come ready and make a good impression. Ricky Horton is with us. Uh, when you look at these young pitchers, uh, they come in the camp in shape. And- they're in a situation, as we mentioned, they're not just having to throw fastballs. What are some of the things you're trying to work on? Because you can be in the offseason throwing off the mound, but there are a lot of other things that go into play with regard to mechanics when you have a guy in the batter's box or perhaps a guy on base. You know, I've always thought there was an odd thing about coming down to uh, spring training that, that something about the air or just just a different environment that, and this is true not just to players but or pitchers, but for players as well, that throwing just feels different. I mean, mm-hmm. so you, there's a different resistance or something from throwing in a gym up, up north to, to coming down south and to dealing with the wind and dealing with, you know, heat. And there's just different uh, – it just feels different. And I think guys running is the same way. You, you know, you could be running four miles a day and come down here, do a couple of sprints, and it just it just feels different. And so you, you, you have to take about a week to get acclimated to that. Certainly the guys have been here long enough to, to get acclimated to that. But uh, that's why I always felt like it was important for me – uh, even back in the day to come down February 1. I was I was always here early. I felt like the earlier I was here, I could get that acclimation thing done and then, you know, work on my tan a little bit. So I'd, <laughs> I'd, I'd, look, I'd look like I was in shape. So uh, there's just something about uh, Florida that, you know, it, it takes a while. And, and the problem comes, Clebs, when guys try to do too much too early before they've done that. You know, they're not fully, their arm's not really loose yet or it's not fully... Uh, you know, intact, and then all of a sudden you try to you rip off that slider or, or, or throw that nasty changeup, and, and now all of a sudden you're uh, you know you're going to see a doctor that you want to go see. So that I mean, that's I think that's part of the deal is easing into it, but be ready to compete as quickly as possible. Yeah, I, I think you touch on being ready to compete because these camps are so well structured. Well, they want to see every pitch, every at bat, every swing, every throw, and. You're on the spot. You're under the spotlight, especially if you're a guy at the back end of a bullpen, 
or maybe the back end of rotation or a guy who still has options? Well, we, they've got, again, 68 players down here. So talk mm-hmm. about how detailed the, the schedule has to be from David Bell's point of view or from the other coaches that are uh, that are trying to map out what a successful day is going to be like. We want to work on base running. we got guys that got to hit. we got guys that have to throw. And we've got 68 guys. I mean, just remembering 68 names is hard enough. Good thing their names are on their back. Uh, but but it's but it is a it is a challenge to orchestrate that all uh, in, in a good way. The minor leaguers aren't here yet. When the minor leaguers here, uh, then then it becomes even harder to find field space, and you have to cooperate, and it, it becomes uh, you know chaotic around here with 200 minor leaguers here on top of the 68 guys that are that are already here. Uh, there are a lot of fields again, but you know there's only. Uh, so many places where you can work on bunt drills and, and, and base running drills. So you really have to be a logistical genius to run spring training. And I think David Bell's probably one of them. You know, one of the things that I always ask the question about, we see guys work on so many drills in, in spring training, and come June, they, it gets away from them. And this is a game about muscle memory. And I wonder why don't we stress a lot of the fundamentals more during the season, whether it's the first day of a, a homestand or a first day or second day off on a road trip. Why don't we see more of that? Because I think it would result in a lot more mental mistakes we see during games. Oh, I think you're 100% right. I think sometimes it's the grind of the season that makes you feel like, you know what, I don't want to come out at 2 o'clock. And but, st- but here's the thing, though, Ricky, do it. Yeah, Everybody's gone through it. I oh, mean, I your era, I, didn't, you know, well, I mean, you know, you, maybe you didn't want to go out there, but you still did it. But they're but they're fighting a, a, a new kind of deal with players who now lift and run and have a there, there is a different level to which guys get themselves ready to play physically, which does not have to do with fundamentals. It has to do with health and and again weightlifting and, and strength training and all that. They're there as you know. They're there at the ballpark at one o'clock. I mean, we used which to get I there, have no idea why. Well, we used to get there at four. So the point is, it's not that they're not willing to be there, but it's kind of what do, what do you stress? So I think this spring training, the Cardinals are trying to stress base running and defense more. Well, if you stress that more, you do something else less. I mean, it's just the way it works. So what is that something else that you do less? You know, to me, it's, it, you know, I'd, I'd be all in favor of hitting less and, and, and doing fundamentals more even during the season. Forget batting practice one day. We'll do, and we do see teams do that as we travel. We'll see teams doing pitchers, fielders practice, for example, PFP, good old PFP. Mm-hmm. They'll cover first base. They'll throw to each bag. So in spring training, you do see this emphasized. You see in the early games, pickoff plays at second base, uh, all kinds of throws to first. And they're not really doing that for gamesmanship. They're doing that to work on the signals and the timing and, and you know, in case they need it. But the point is, it doesn't do any good if you forget it. So I'm with you 100%. If you, if you stop doing it yeah. and, and don't practice that once you get to – uh, April and May, then then it's you know so what you did in spring training, it, it, it's not helping you now. So I I, I do like um, I would say uh, fundamental touches uh, once you get during the season and do and do that you know, do it once a week and and just to make sure you don't forget. Were you a good hitter? I was. Uh, I could make contact, and the answer is no. Really, the direct answer is no. I could. I could some kind of bunt though. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's. But you know what though? That's important. Yeah. I mean, it's a lost art, and I, and I wonder if pitchers ever think about, man, I could probably stay in the ball game a little bit more if I could handle a bat a little bit better. Well, it's, it's a pitcher's job, and you know, like like every pitcher I played with, we all hit well in high school. But you know, the guy I got my last hit off in high school was a kid named Richie DiVincenzo, and the next guy I faced was Nolan Ryan, and and, and there was a little bit of a difference between the two. It got there uh, quicker. Know, Danny huh? Cox used to make fun of me. I'd put the weighted, they'd put the donut on my bat, and I'd be in the on deck circle. And Danny would say, "Why do you put the donut on just a bunt?" <laughs> but, and so, of course, only Danny can say that in his funny 
funny way, but uh, you know, you, you do, and even bunting is helping yourself, moving a runner over, hitting a ground ball, doing doing those little things. If you're a pitcher and you're an automatic out, then you're not you're not doing yourself a service. Now, some guys, frankly, just can't hit. I mean, you can yeah. you can say it's you know, it's not a matter of hey, he should be working to help himself. He can work all day. It ain't going to happen. I mean, there's certain guys like that. Yeah, we we've had a couple guys on the ball club that have been like that. Where if you gave them two bats, it, yeah. it's just not going to help. <laughs> Threw it underhand doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> Tell you where it's going to be. So, hey, so, put it on the tee. Let's see what you could do. So that's that's one thing I've always felt about. You know, people would say, well, if he's a pitcher, why can't he hit? And and it's kind of like, well, you know, look, the the hitters are elite level hitters on the planet. Mm-hmm. Skill. I mean, you don't necessarily have one and then have the other. I mean, some do. The, the you know Bob Gibson and Bob Forge and Adam Wainwright and Rick Ankeel is a another you know kind of uh, phenom in that area. But the point is, you know, you're talking about being elite level, elite level thrower and elite level hitter. And they again, you don't necessarily, uh, are you not necessarily blessed with both gifts? All right, what do you look for in the second week? I'm looking for guys to stretch out. I'm looking for where. Uh, starters might start to establish themselves more. I, I'm really interested in watching second time around for Michael Waka, Luke Weaver, Lance Lynn in particular. You know, I, we're going to see uh, Martinez and and uh, Adam Wainwright in the second week, and and I'm just not really that worried about either of those two guys. I mean, it, it just feels like they're, you know, they know what they're doing. And Carlos is younger, of course, but he's he's really good, and and, and Adam is really good, and 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 pretty smart too. So, uh, but but the but the guys that I'm just not sure who's going to start to uh, distinguish themselves as maybe a starter that could be could be a winner in the middle of the rotation. And you know, again, Mike Leak. I think you know what you have with Mike mm-hmm. Leak. I think you know what you have with Carlos and, and Wainwright. Not sure what you have with Lance Lynn, Waka, and Luke Weaver at this point. So those guys are are, are going to be key for me. Give me a picture that you're going to start to pay closer attention to. I know everybody was excited to see Alcantara. He was average. I think he was a little nervous. But give me a guy that you're going to kind of pay closer attention to that we may see later in the year. I still like Alcantara because he's throwing 100, and there's a lot of confidence that he can be a guy that we'll see uh, by the end of the year. Uh, you know, I think in terms of in terms of some of the young guys, I, I, I'm intrigued by – I'm still intrigued by Luke Weaver. And, 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 and that's not a new – thing I mean it's not like he's a, a secret but I think there, there's this just general feeling that that folks are down on him right now because he had some rough spots uh, in the Cardinal rotation last year I just think he he got worn out and, and got a bad spiral going but I, I just think he's a pitcher I mean I really think he knows what he's doing to pitch I think another guy that I'm anxious to see back pitching again who's a little bit like Weaver in some ways is Marco Gonzalez but Marco won't be pitching for a couple of months so I think Marco might you know, might get ready in May and, 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 and all of a sudden catch fire and, and we may see Marco Gonzalez by the end of the year. It's going to be interesting. Let's just make sure we can keep him healthy. How's the golf game so far? Well, uh, Jose Oquendo gave me a tip mm-hmm. and it helped. And, you know, everybody talks about him being a great coach. Well, he can coach more than just baseball because oh, no if he can get me in the fairway, he knows what he's doing. <laughs> Good to see you, sir. Enjoy your time. My pleasure, Clebs. Good to be with you. Visit the official online shop at the Cardinals at cardinals.com shop for the largest selection of authentic caps, T-shirts, jerseys, hoodies, collectibles, and more. Get your gear straight from the source at cardinals.com shop. We'll be back with Tony Clark on Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day, presented by Amarant, Chris Raby, and Mike Claiborne with you on the St. Louis Cardinals. Radio Network. 
Chris Ramby and Mike Claiborne are with you on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. It's Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day. Claibs got to see Tony Clark and the Players Association today as they met with the Cardinals. Could hear from him in just a moment. But how have you seen the role of the Players Association, the head of the union, evolve over time? And how do you compare the strength of that union and the relationship with Major League Baseball and their owners uh, right now as opposed to maybe the last labor stoppage? Obviously, the relationship is better, but it's the harmony that we've seen since then that, that I think really is to be spoken for. Well, I think this situation is different because the, the both sides know each other better. Uh, Tony Clark is not as combative as some people who have run the union before. That's a very diplomatic way of saying it. Yeah, and, and neither is Rob Manford. I, I think these guys understand this is a pretty healthy golden goose. Why choke it? Um, and I've always asked guys, you know, what's, what's this going to be a fight about? And they always say, well, who said we had a fight? I think they want to protect what they have more than anything else. Uh, I think the big challenge that they're going to run across is how much of the bargaining chips are going to be used as far as the rule changes are concerned and what the players are going to agree to. Are you going to use this as bargaining chips or are you going to do it for the betterment of the game? Uh, and there's, a, there's two different ways to look at it. You know, if you're going to use it for a bargaining chip to better the player situation, what might that be? I'm not sure what else they would want at this point. Uh, but if you're doing it for the betterment of the game, then it ought to be unified. I asked Tony Clark a question about the fact he talks to the players. You know, we've heard different reaction from players with regard to some of the proposed rule changes. So are they going to use this to, to get something else, or are they going to say, all right, this is going to be better for our players in the at the end of the day? There's a lot of things that have to be done behind the scenes, but I like the way he handles his business. I think that right now, other than the NBA Players Association, this might be the second best Players Association going. Uh, when you look at the NFL, it's probably the worst, and the National Hockey League has been held hostage for too many years, but they just don't have the bargaining chips that the other leagues have. Are things different that now, whenever the commissioner, and, and he's, you know, always talking whenever an owner whenever anyone says anything especially pertaining to pace of play and rule changes it's instantly on twitter players instantly see it it's instantly on mlb network espn the 24-hour news cycle they're aware of every comment that's made which is a lot different than it than than it used to be it it really is And, and i think that they're a lot more media savvy in how this how this works you know and listening to tony clark he's very diplomatic uh, he's very well spoken about how he gets points across, but not in a combative manner, uh, unlike prior people who led the union who were looking for a fight. And their second guy in charge is looking for a fight. And I think it really uh, prevented a lot of things of happening. And it created a lot of ill will and mistrust between both sides. I'm sure there's always a concern because you have some guys from the old guard era that remember those days and don't want to go back to it, but they also understand it's a new day, and the question always remains, who do you take care of, the veterans or the future? The veterans will say, we made this thing what it is, and the future is like, hey, we want to be part of what we think is a pretty good organization. Tony Clark earlier today in Jupiter. What is the State of the Union now, especially after listening to the commissioner last week talk about the lack of cooperation that they've been receiving from the Players Association about proposed rule change. Well, as I've said before, his comments were made public, and I've continued to say after his comments are made public, uh, we have been and continue to be open to have whatever dialogue we need to have. Um, that hasn't changed. Uh, to the extent that 
uh, cooperation means agreement, uh, then yes, I guess we haven't been as cooperative. Um, but to the extent that cooperation means a willingness to, to talk and, and, and work toward or see if there's a possibility of working toward common ground, that's what we've always done and will continue to do. Uh, as I'm sure all of you can appreciate, when you talk about on-field rules and rules that are going to affect the game and the players who are playing them, excuse me, uh, it is a very personal conversation on a number of levels um, and one that uh, requires some time. It requires time to get as much feedback as we can. It requires as much time as possible to appreciate what that feedback is. Um, and it requires time uh, to find, uh, find out whether or not among the group common ground can be found. Um, we've we found common ground on some things this year, um, albeit perhaps not as much as, as some had hoped. Um, but again, the willingness to have that dialogue is there, the willingness to work toward uh, what I believe is in uh, is everyone's interest here, which is continuing to grow and advance the game. Uh, our willingness to have that hasn't changed. There's been a lot of talk um, this year about pace of play. Uh, where do the players stand on suggestions they see? You talked to players, uh, the guys who are actually playing. What are some of the concerns they have, and what are some of the suggestions you've heard about trying to pick up the pace of play? Well, I'm not going to negotiate through the media, but to the extent that players are are have thoughts and have ideas. Some of those may be tied to on-field rules. Some of those may be tied to, to different things uh, that affect the game and, and may affect the game that have nothing to do with pace or, or length. Um, uh, you know, there, there are a number of things that have been done where, and I'm sure you can appreciate this as well, that you know, there are segments of our membership that aren't real happy with, with where things are with some of the things that we've, we've agreed to, um, appreciating that we've, we've, we've found common ground with the whole, but Rest assured, whether it's a group over here that's very comfortable with everything or a group at the other end that's not, um, there are, or a large group that tends to be in the middle on certain things, um, there are thoughts and ideas and things the guys are interested in having dialogue about. And I'm sure once we get through spring training um, and have a chance to, to put all of, all of what we are getting in one place, um, that that ongoing dialogue we talked about before, will continue in a fashion that allows us to move some of that into the forefront of the conversation. We'll see where it goes. Cardinals tickets on sale now. They start at just 5 bucks. the 2017 season, full of great matchups and cool giveaways, including six jerseys, three rings, and much more. Get your 2017 tickets today at cardinals.com. Cardinals reliever Matt Bowman with us next on Cardinals Countdown Opening Day, presented by Ameren on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. Welcome back to Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day, presented by Ameren. Chris Raby and Mike Claiborne joined by Matt Bowman on the St. Louis Cardinals radio network. couple of games in the books. First outing by you. How's the spring gone so far, man? Uh, so far, so good. I mean, pretty early still. So, uh, you know, it's still about how, to, how does the ball feel coming out of your hand. So, uh, but I'm happy to have uh, gotten in there yesterday. Matt, for you, um, think about where you were this time last year, trying to make this ball club. And all of a sudden you make it and you contribute in a big manner. What are some of the things you've tried to do since then, since you made the ball club to where you're at now to make sure that wasn't something that you would look at as a one-trick situation? Uh, you know, I, to be honest, I'm treating this year uh, very much like I treated last year. Uh, you know, last year I almost had a little bit of leverage in terms of they either had to put me on the team or, uh, or kick me out of the organization. And this year there's uh, obviously the option, to, the option to option me. So uh, I feel like, you know, I, I need to try just as hard to get on the squad. When you look back at the situation last year, uh, did you have any 
I don't want to say preconceived notions about it, but you, you use the word leverage there. Coming into spring, what was the mindset like? Is there, even with that, I guess, I don't want to call it a security blanket, but, but, but with that situation, still a little paranoia, still a little chip on your shoulder, and did that change at all? Did that evolve at all for you over the course of the year and when you started having success at the big league level? Uh, I would have said that, uh, you know, this year, like I said, I'm treating it like, you know, almost exactly like last year. I need to come in ready, show them what I've got. Um, But also, you know, during the year, it was, you know, a lot of people sort of give the caveat, oh, he's good for for a Rule 5 guy. And, you know, that's that's great. And, uh, you know, hopefully at some point I can evolve to the point where, you know, he's he's just a contributor regardless of being Rule 5. Rule five guys in big leagues. Which yeah. Let's make sure we make we're clear on that. Hey, um, for you, you were a guy that came in some real pressure situations last year. Bases loaded, nobody out. Hey, let's face the three, four, and five hitters while we're at it. What did you take away from that as far as your confidence? Because I, in watching you throw this year, and I know it's early, your confidence seems to be much greater than what it was maybe during the course of last year. Uh, I would say, you know, there's a little bit of time uh, where I was finding myself last year and, uh, you know, I went through some troubles, uh, had some, you know, I think August last year was a tough time for me and uh, I learned a lot uh, from myself and what I need to do and uh, being under control was uh, was one of the big things I took away from that. So, you know, but in terms of the high leverage situations, I'll be honest, uh, I treat every situation like it's it's a big, uh, big situation, whether we're up by eight runs or whether it's tied, it's it's a big situation to me. How about like uh, the first outing and coming in the ninth inning, even though it's a Grapefruit League game, but it is the ninth inning of a game that you guys are winning and, and an opportunity to put that game away still exhibition versus regular season but what's your process like to to enter that game and is there still a little a little something being the guy that's closing it out even if it's you know February 26th or whatever it was I'd love to say that you know the adrenaline is pumping more because it was the ninth unfortunately it was, it was not uh you know it was my first outing and I thought that was great uh and you know that personally for me is you know sparks the adrenaline but it being the ninth was uh this early on it's not all that big a deal Matt Bowman with us, Cardinals countdown to opening day on the Cardinals radio network. How about off the field, fitting in from the beginning of last year, jumping right into a new organization? Did you know anyone when you came over last year? And there's been a lot made of some of the clubhouse this year, and the word fun is is often tossed around. Um, but what has the clubhouse been like for you, and you think overall this year compared to last year? Uh, I mean, it's completely different for me personally. That has nothing to do with uh, with the clubhouse in general. But, uh, you know, I came in and I, I actually don't think I knew a single person uh, in this organization, or at least that was in big league camp last year. So, you know, I kept to myself a little bit, uh, didn't want to get in anyone's way, didn't really feel like, you know, I necessarily belonged in the clubhouse. But this year, you know, it's I was reflecting on how it's, it's nice to come in, have friends, and uh, be able to hang out with people and joke around. You know, that's interesting observation where you don't know you don't know anybody. So you have to end up being a better listener compared to being a participant in that situation. How much did you learn from that? I'd say I learned a good amount. I mean, I certainly uh, really tried to observe mostly. Uh, You know, they have tremendous veterans here. And so uh, I I watch what they did. Uh, I watch how Wainwright went about his business. And he's obviously, uh, at least for pitchers, a a great resource and very open. So I got to speak to him a little bit. Uh, And then a lot of it was observing during the game. I remember uh, I would sit out in the bullpen even if I weren't, uh, even if I wasn't pitching, uh, and just watch the way the guys warmed up because the bullpen last year was was pretty new to me, and I just wanted to see how everyone went through the process. 
Was there one guy in particular you found yourself talking with, having conversations, talking baseball with in the bullpen on a day-to-day basis? And was there that guy uh, in the Mets organization before he came over here? Um, no, not in the Mets organization because I was a starter uh, through my career there, so I, I hadn't really spoken to them a whole lot. But uh, here I, uh, I talked to Broxton, I remember, in spring training. I talked to Blazer quite a bit, the uh, the pitching coach in the bullpen. And uh, and then once the year started, I talked to O and Eugene quite a bit. Uh, o is sort of, I'm not going to call him mechanical, but he's uh, he's very professional and deliberate in the way he uh, he goes about getting ready for the game. So uh, I talked to him, and he had some good advice. Let's talk about mechanics for a second. Um, what have you tried to do to make sure you have that same delivery, and what pitches do you work on at this time of the year as you get yourself ready for the season? You know, I mean, it's uh, it's just a standard three-pitch mix for me, so uh, you're trying to refine all those pitches. I wouldn't say that this spring training I'm trying to do anything uh, completely different. And uh, in terms of mechanics, uh, especially early on, I want to be slow and deliberate. And, uh, you know, you can rush late, but don't rush early. And, uh, you know, I'll get into probably a little bit better pace. But uh, yesterday I was really trying to be very slow with, with the wind-up. I don't know how much of the postseason you watched, but after spending a year in a major league bullpen, uh, did you take anything from the way that some relievers were used and kind of the evolution in, I guess, the process of bringing guys in in certain situations that in the past may not have been brought in there, whether it's multiple innings or bringing a closer in in the fifth or sixth inning of a World Series game? Anything that you take away from that and how much of it did you watch? Uh, I watched a good amount of it. I mean, uh, you know, I grew up, well, I didn't grow up, but uh, in high school, I watched plenty of the Giants, San Francisco, and they they sort of employed that uh, type of uh, bullpen usage uh, throughout the playoffs, uh, other than when Bumgarner's on the mound. I think it's interesting. Uh, you know, I that's that's a, a long way. I didn't think about it for me personally, just because that's such a long way away, not only making the team, but then helping the team make the playoffs and then trying to make the playoff roster. So, But I think it's it's very interesting how the bullpen is used now, and uh, I think it makes sense, especially in the playoffs, that you know you face, you face guys one time around and uh, you switch up early and often and play matchups because every game is so important. Final question for me. Um, we saw some bullpens in postseason stretch out a little bit, and that seems like that might be a trend. We might see a little bit more during the regular season. You're, you're somewhat accustomed to that. You're more than just a one-inning guy. And, but how do you mentally stretch yourself out? Um, I mean, mentally, you just uh, make sure that you know the situation you're going into the game. Uh, if it's the sixth inning or something and the game's close uh, or, you know, fifth inning, you're like, okay, it's probably a two-inning situation. Or if you know that other guys have been used quite a bit uh, in the past, a uh, few days, then, you know, you go in the seventh or you go in the sixth and you say, okay, I could go seven, eight now. Like, and really it's not a matter of uh, preparing yourself for two innings. It's just not checking out and saying, okay, one inning is it for me. You just stay dialed into it until uh, they tell you, you know, your day's over. I don't know if you're hoping at some point to start or have an opportunity to start down the road. Again, I'm sure you're focused on right now your role making the club, but there are a lot of guys, a couple of guys in this clubhouse who have done very well transitioning from starter to reliever. And I was talking with Cecil about it, and he said, you know, for me, I was excited to do it, and I embraced it, and I've developed a great career out of it. Have you observed anyone that's made that transition as you, again, in a shorter time span, have have made that transition, made that transition at the big league level, and is there anyone you've talked about it to? Uh, No, not really. I mean, uh, I just sort of, uh, that's a pretty natural progression to take a starter and move him into the bullpen. So, uh, 
you know, it's, uh, it's great to do it. You know, you get to really sell out for one or two innings, uh, and give it out everything you've got. And if it's a good two innings, that's, you know, that's your whole outing. So, uh, and that's a good day. Whereas this is a starter, you could have five great innings and then one terrible inning, and that's just a bad start. So, but to be honest, uh, it was really just about preparing for the bullpen, and uh, I don't think anyone is particularly unique in that. You know, it's just because almost most great, you know, not or many great relievers uh, were at one time started out as starters, uh, and so that transition and that progression is pretty natural. Is, is there a common trait among the guys that then have a lot of success? In a relief role, do you think? Uh, I can't. I can't speak to that. You know, I have one here in the bigs, uh, and uh, you know, I, I would probably say that you couldn't point to one particular trait just because uh, bullpens are so eclectic. Um, so it'd be hard to say. Okay, this is what makes people great. Like Rosenthal, uh, great closer. Um, obviously, he's uh, trying starting right now, and you know, he could be in a lot of different roles. But he uh, he's pretty relaxed in the bullpen, and uh, you know. If you look at other closers, you would sort, you know, the Brian Wilsons of the world uh, and the uh, some of the other closers out there, Papelbon, uh, they they don't appear to be too relaxed uh, when they go into the game. Yeah, it's an interesting way to describe Brian Wilson. Matt Bowman, appreciate the time. Uh, great to see you back in camp. A couple of games down, and look forward to uh, seeing what happens the rest of the way. Thanks for the time. Thanks for having me, guys. The Cardinals Kids Club, presented by Rawlings, is the exclusive fan club for Cardinals fans age 13 and under. Tremendous membership benefits include two tickets to a 2017 Cardinals home game, an invite to a members-only autograph party at Bush Stadium, and much more. For more information, visit cardinals.com slash kidsclub. Ashley Brown of Cardinals Authentics next on Cardinals Countdown Opening Day, presented by Ameren on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. Welcome back to Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day. We are in Jupiter, Florida on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network, and Ashley Brown is here from Cardinals Authentics as they are hard at work getting ready for the season. Spring training for you guys, too. How are you, Ashley? I'm good, Chris. How are you? Doing very well. Tell us a little bit about what you guys are doing down here. You're not just enjoying the sun. You're getting ready for another year, and Cardinals Authentics, so many incredible items that uh, are signed, and um, you guys put I know a lot of thought into not only what you're putting together but then how you're going to use it over the course of the year and it all starts I guess much earlier than right now but what is this time of year like for you guys it's pretty crazy but exciting we're um, excited to be down here of course the weather is beautiful but um, we come down because the guys are a little bit more relaxed it's a little bit easier to get them to come up and sign in a very you know chill environment and so uh, we're excited to be signing with Dexter Fowler um, you know everybody's excited to have him on the team in, in Cardinals Nation so we're definitely excited to add him to the collection we're gonna be signing with a bunch of other guys that we've already had um, Aledmus Diaz, Yadier Molina. Um, two new guys are going to be Luke Weaver and Carson Kelly. So, you know, they're going to be up and comers, and we're excited to have them in the store, too. So, give us an idea of some of the items you're having signed and some of the pieces you have, because I know something you take a lot of pride in is it's not just baseballs and bats, run of the mill stuff, some really unique, unique items that are. Um, special to Cardinals Authentics. Yeah, we definitely try to keep everything um, exclusive to us or not something that you can just find on the internet or another memorabilia shop. So what the guys are signing this year is we're trying to keep it pretty simple, bases, uh, baseballs and photos. Um, but, you know, we're working on some other fabulous pieces for throughout the season. Um, 
we're creating some pieces for the 67 World Series 50th anniversary that we're celebrating all season long. Um, you know, as the season goes on with these current guys, we'll focus on some milestones that they hit, maybe do a piece for Fowler's first game um, or his first hit or something along that line. Um, we're working on a piece featuring um, Diaz's Grand Slam last year that he hit after Jose Fernandez had passed away because that was a pretty big moment for him, a pretty big moment throughout the stadium. So we're working on a piece like that. Um, and, yeah, we definitely try to keep it not just bases, baseballs, and bats, but, you know, looking at what other things we can do. What throwbacks can we do that are going to be exciting for not just us, but for all of Cardinals Nation, not even those that are just collecting it, but for everyone to watch the game at home. I think that's a really cool thing about Cardinals Authentics is you guys are able to maybe capture a little bit more of the emotional connection with some of those pieces than you would get necessarily just outside of, like you said, a run-of-the-mill memorabilia shop. And that's totally our our thing. It's, you know, where every piece tells a story. That's the great thing about Authentics is, you know, yes, we are, we are making memorabilia from memorabilia and we're we're creating these pieces but it's when people come in and share their story you know we print a photo and we have it signed that's not anything out of the ordinary but when somebody comes in and says you know I watched Luke Weaver at spring training and he was so nice to my son and he signed a ball or I had this interaction with him you know they have a close connection with him and so having that photo means something you know and it's the same thing with the Hall of Famers people come in and tell their stories about Bob or Oz um, and their interaction and it's very special for us to hear those things because we share those same experiences that's why we do what we do so actually uh, how can folks see your collection how can they throughout the season um, come down and, and see what's going on at Cardinals Authentics outside of just the stadium? Well, we've got the store in Ballpark Village. It's open every day except for Christmas and Thanksgiving. So definitely stop in. If there aren't games going on, we'll take you on a tour of our store in the stadium. But the easiest way is to follow us on Twitter. Um, our Twitter handle is at Cards Authentics. And we really post a lot on there. We, we're, we don't have the luxury of putting all of our game used merchandise online um, because we'd rather sell it quickly and we don't want to have to go through those channels and so you can always visit us at cardinalsauthentics.com that's where we have all of our photos and our baseballs and the, the other memorabilia but you know the game use I feel like you really need to see it and touch it and and have that interaction with it in person um, you know so you can always interact with us on Twitter we love hearing from people and then definitely come down and see us and um, we'll be able to show you whatever you want. Ashley thanks for the time great to see you guys from Cardinals Authentics in Florida. Well, we appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. We'll take a break and be back with more. It's Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day in Jupiter on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. Well, that about does it for us on Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day, presented by Ammer and Chris Raby, along with Mike Claiborne, another edition of the program in the books. And before we get out of here, how about giving away some more tickets? That's right, seven ticket vouchers for any single session of the 2017 Missouri Valley Conference Men's Basketball Tournament, March 2nd through the 5th. You can get more information on the MBC Games by visiting archmadness.com. You can win some tickets right now, seven ticket vouchers, by being the third caller at 969-1120. Thank you to all of our guests tonight. What a show it was. Mike Claiborne, my great co-host, Ben Boyd, is our executive producer. We visited with Rick Horton. We heard from Matt Bowman, Tony Clark, Tim Kirkchin, Phil Melcher. 
Heard from John Mozeliak and Adalis Garcia, also Ashley Brown of Cardinals Authentics. And we're getting closer and closer to baseball. April 2nd, we open it up for real. We'll talk to you next week. Until then, for Mike Claiborne, Ben Boyd, and all of our guests, Chris Ramby saying have a great night. It's been Cardinals Countdown Opening Day presented by Ameren on the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network.